Hi Tom, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Oh, good, my pleasure. Um, you're the founder of designcuts.com and a fellow podcaster, and you've joined me to talk about creativity. Um, before we dive into that subject, because it's, it's a fascinating topic for me, can you just give me a little bit about your background and particularly how Design Cuts got started? Yeah, so I've been in this space since a pretty young age. I was about 12 years old. Really? And yeah, I was sat there with my oldest friend at the time. So we've been buddies since we were about three. And we sat there 12 years old in front of his computer. And he right clicked on a website and hit view source, you know, where it spits out all the HTML. And it blew my mind, right? But it's like the first time I saw the matrix or something. And I was like, people build these things? This is crazy. And so we taught ourselves basic HTML. He's a genius, so it took him about two days. Uh, and it took me about two weeks. And then we started building websites together. And pretty quickly, I slipped more into like the design and the creativity and the marketing side. And he slipped more into the development mental side and from there that really was the, the beginning of all of that and i just got obsessed with both design and marketing and entrepreneurship and to this day i'm now teaching the marriage of the two and how powerful that can be and after years and years of doing that had a freelance career which went pretty successfully launched a, a blog about design which got a few million visitors and kind of got me more connected in that industry I had some failed business ventures lots of those it's really been like a lot of trial and error a lot of learning and everything kind of funneled towards me starting my company design cuts which was about six years ago and when that got off the ground it was kind of the culmination of like everything i would learned you know i definitely made some mistakes along the way but at that point i felt i had enough clarity vision and experience to really do it properly and so we launched with a quite a bang and within a year we went from nothing with no investment to seven figures which was nuts and for, like that's great for me it's more about the success than the money I'm not very money driven, but to see an idea and that inception point mm. explode and it honestly best feeling in the world, Ben. Like it's it's just pure adrenaline and it's like a rocket ship that you're just trying to hold on to for dear life and not screw it up. Uh, and uh, you know, definitely kept making some mistakes along the way, but it's been such a joy to kind of grow it from that early stage idea to a fantastic team that we've now got this community of half a million designers. We now do the podcast, teaching, like all these different things. It's just kind of grown outwards. And it started with, um, I'm actually upstairs right now in a meeting room. Mm. We've kind of got like a sister company. We're connected to a corporate, which helps provide infrastructure and that kind of thing. I started the company down that hallway behind me in the corner of their sales floor. So it was like me, this like random kid that no one knew in a corporate office, looking very uncorporate because I'd worked from home for years. Yeah. And I, I looked like an idiot, to be honest. I was so used to like living in my own personal space. I practically had my feet up on the desk. I had like, a, I think a Tim Ferriss book next to me on the desk and everyone's like, who's this like cocky kid? And I wasn't cocky at all. I was, I was just like not used to being in that corporate environment. But as I say, I was tinkering away on my laptop quietly in the corner of the sales floor and stuff started to happen. You know, we started to get traction. It started to pick up. We started to hire some staff and the whole journey has been, you know, not always smooth, not always easy, but it's been the most fun, like filling, rewarding thing I've ever done. And it's my baby and I love it. Well, it's a real roller coaster, and I, and, and I want to pick up on that because I think that's um, how you get from uh, zero effectively to where you are now and, and through hard work. That's the bit that I find particularly interesting in how you do that. So I want to really dig into a few of those things, if that's OK. But, yeah. but maybe for the audience, can you just tell them a little bit about what Design Cuts is? Oh, yeah, I left that bit out. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, I always like to say this. We are, as a business model, we are a marketplace mm. for designers. So we sell the resources that they use day in, day out. Stuff like fonts, social media templates, graphics, illustrations, Photoshop brushes, all the stuff that save them time. And it's the tools they like to have in their arsenal to produce better work. So that's fundamentally what we do. And then we've kind of got some USPs around that, where it's like, we've got the best licensing built in for no extra money. You can get stuff cheaper than anywhere else. We've got the best customer service, all these things that we're kind of known for. But what we're really known for is our community and our brand and our reputation. And that's what I'm most proud of. For me, it's kind of incidental what we sell. What we're predicated on is the fact that we care so deeply about our community. I mean, we just have incredibly personal relationships with so many of them. We're the company that will stalk you on social media if you're a loyal customer and go and buy you some cool thing that's super personal to you on eBay with a handwritten note saying thanks. You. And we scale that by me putting money and people behind our team to allow us to keep doing that as we as we build up. Yeah, so, community yeah. building is incredibly important. It's, it's everything to me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, okay, there's two things we want to bring up: how you get from zero to, to sort of growing that business and scaling it up, and then building community. I'm just going to screen share first time ever on uh, on our podcast here. <laughs> cool. I'm just going to screen share the Design Cuts website just so everyone can see. maybe just talk us through a few of the a few of the areas on here. Then we'll move on to the community section. Yeah, sure. So um, I. Just just alluded to some of our USBs, which you can see right there at the top. Yeah. And they're quite compelling for people because it becomes a bit of a no-brainer. It's like, why would I shop somewhere else where it costs 10 times the price and I get rubbish service and that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. We're also very curated, so you can see the products there. What we do, like other people tend to be a bit of a free-for-all. So they open the floodgates and they might sell 5 million products. What we do is we cherry-pick the best 1% yeah. for product creators and products and we only work with them. So it's a real, like, we're very fussy with it. It's like a real red road policy. But that means that the product creators can make more money because there's less competition. And it means the customers enjoy it more because they don't have to sift through loads of crap to actually find the good stuff. And as I say, we literally cherry pick the best people. So this has got a ton of stuff in it, uh, this particular one, but designers love textures. I think it's really important that you cherry pick the people involved in Design Cuts. There are services that people may be familiar with called Fiverr and uh, People Per Hour, where you are not paying for assets as much, you're paying for access to uh, developers or creatives to do particular work for you. But it's really a free-for-all in terms of uh, trying to figure out uh, why you should work with a particular person. Uh, there's lots of people doing the same thing in various different countries at different prices. I mean, there's quite a price range. It is it's an absolute nightmare. And so it, it's a breath of fresh air when you can go to a site and it's and it's curated. You know, someone has thought about the problems and challenges you're facing and, and pick the right assets for that particular, those particular jobs. Yeah, I think it's huge and it's indicative of the perpetual desire to scale. So what we've seen with a lot of businesses, including our competitors, they want to scale as quickly as possible. And when they're at that kind of maximum capacity, quite often they backpedal and they're like, oh, now we want to try and be more curated. But it's very hard to do that yeah. when you've already kind of bloated yourself out. To be honest, Ben, how I tend to work is I've got a few core pillars that I believe in with entrepreneurship. So I'll get, get the main pillar, the main idea, and then I have creative application. So mm -hmm. how am I going to find creative ways to apply that to my business? And then I've got the execution, which is just the hard work, you know, putting in the hours and so on. So one pillar for me is quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And that applies to everything we do. 
So not just how many suppliers we work with and how many products we sell, doing better products, but less of them, but even like business partners that we work with and affiliates we work with and that kind of thing, rather than a wide net of working with 10,000 people, I'd rather work with 50 or 100, yeah. but work really, really closely and deeply with them. And so that can map out over and over and over again. And you can apply that in different ways to your business. And then the work of that looks like, I don't know if someone's getting uh, annoyed that you're saying no to their products and being the bad guy, it's sticking to your guns and standing by your values because you've got that kind of core pillar of quality over quantity, which maps and dictates to all your actions. Yeah, and it, it makes it much easier to go back to them because you can explain this is the reason why. I think it's also um, like the, the role of a good editor um, in, in anything, whether it's video or copy that uh, a good editor will make it will be saving the time of the reader or the watcher and they'll be making it a lot easier i know i know with our podcasts there's lots of uh, ums and uhs pauses um and other breaks in them but we try and trim those out so we try and make it when the when the viewer is watching then they're not wasting their time they're getting to the content fairly quickly and i think that's exactly the same as what you're doing here you're you're editing to make sure that your customers aren't wasting their time sifting mm -hmm. through material that's not good enough. So I, I want to come back to uh, the community aspect because I, I find it fascinating. I think community building is so important, whether it's your community of the designers and contributors to your um, to your website or, or your customers. How do you balance that? How do you go about um, working with those two uh, sides of the business? Pretty differently. So the customer base is obviously a lot bigger than our partner and supplier base. We've got around half a million customers, we work with slightly less than 500 product creators. Right. And so, yeah, very, very different numbers. So the, uh, the suppliers, the product creators, we've got a relationship manager. Her full-time job is looking after them and making them happy and giving a smooth experience. The customers is probably the trickier one of the two, because when I started it, I'm such a believer in like just these deep, personal, amazing relationships that when I started the business and it was just me, we had a Facebook group with 40 people on, you know, yeah. that was the early stage of it. And so with our first one to 200 customers, my community building strategy was becoming best friends with those one to 200 people. That was it. I put in the time and the work. I worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. It was ridiculous and put me in hospital, which is a whole other story. Um, but I, I really, really cared about them so much. And I knew everything about them and they did with me, you know, I knew about their families and their hobbies and we were literally friends and they just happened to love the product offering, which I was putting out as well. So they were happy to buy from me. They really enjoyed the experience and they felt so much more brand loyalty towards our site and myself compared to our competitors who were faceless, impersonal, all those kinds of things. So for me, community building happens one person at a time. And I talk about this a lot when people are doing marketing and social media content and that kind of thing. They're often shouting into the void. Yeah, I like to call it. They're bellowing out, going, care about me, care about me. Why does no one care about me? And it's really, you know, it gets people down. It's very depressing. And I always say, stop trying to think so scalable. Stop trying to shout aimlessly at millions of people and go and find one person and bring them value and help them and build a relationship and chat with them and get to know them and then do it with another person and another person. And it's not that hard, you know, if, if you're putting out good stuff to get 10 people to care about you enough to, I don't know, engage with all your content and comment mm. on it and build a relationship. But when you look around, there's accounts out there with 100,000 followers they're not getting 10 comments a post. You know what I mean? No one cares enough. Like there's no sense of community and it's because they're all going scalable and no one's going one person at a time. So 
I'm a huge believer in that, but equally that is very hard to scale. It can be done. We have done it to some extent uh, and I think very well, but it's no longer me being best friends with a hundred no, people. Yeah. You, you just can't, you just can't do that. Can you? I mean, I was going to ask, you said you put a lot of hours in, is that something where you feel if you want to have a successful community, you need to put a lot of hours in, or is that just the way that you were approaching it? And there are other ways for different, for different people. I think everyone has their own way of doing things and, and, you know, there are a lot of different paths to success, but for me, it's input and output, right? You get out what you put in, in anything in life. Yeah. And I don't think you can half-ass community, you know, set out of everything in business. I think that's one of the key things you can't be lazy about. If you want to spend 10 minutes a day caring about the people that are buying from you, then great. Good luck building a, a community. And I know people always talk about like, you know, work smart and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Big believer in that and being efficient. But equally, being hands-on, like in the trenches, knowing your people and caring about them and being responsive and building relationships, there are no shortcuts to that. You just have to care yeah. enough to put in the work, I think. Yeah, it is tricky. I mean, um, I've, I've got kids, I've got a family. I don't want to be working all the time. So if, if I look at community building, I, I think what I have to do is be honest with people. And, that, you know, there may be other, I'm sure there are many other people in this position that you have to be honest with people and say, look, I'm, I'm all yours but I can only be this, at the, you know, all yours at, within these periods of time, you know, not on the mm -hmm. weekends, not on the evenings. And uh, hopefully, you know, people are going to respect that. I mean, that may not work for some people, may, but but for the others yeah. who do, they're like, yeah, we're on board with that because we have those same challenges too. I, I think it goes a long way though. When your intent is pure and you actually care about people, yeah. you don't need to be doing it for 18 hours a day. Like for example, with my personal brand that I'm building, personal podcast and all of that, that's my side hustle. So I work pretty long hours. I'm CEO of my company. I do this on the side of running my company. So I've got exactly the same time constraints that people complain about. I probably have an hour a day to build that entire thing. And so I've got to do two things. I've got to work smart and fast, and I've got to you know, scale back my expectations because I'm not going to build the biggest personal brand of all time super quickly doing an hour a day. It's just not going to happen. But equally, I am building something that's seeing real traction. I am getting incredible engagement on my content relative to my following. I'm building amazing connections and I love my community and that's great. And I feel like I'm doing some real damage in a very small window of time. But what people do is they put out content and they get 12 comments and they ignore those people. And it's just shocking to me. It's like, you I mean, that takes five minutes. You don't need yeah. to write each person back an essay. You can just yeah. skim through, acknowledge them appreciate them and give them a response so you know that's five minutes what are you going to do with the other 55 in an hour you can do a lot i think yeah exactly and actually uh, as um we'll come on to your um your podcast entrepreneur podcast but i wonder if that is a way for you to have a release you know you're so probably working so intently and then this is a way for you to give back and release some of the the ideas and the things that have been going around in your mind so if it's almost maybe uh, you're using it as your own therapy yeah so it's, it's cathartic yeah, it really is. With, with the community aspect, it's it, it is about being genuine and, and being true and real. You know, however much time you can put into that, but but whatever time you do put into it, make sure that that's real time and effort. But with in terms of growing the company, does I mean that's you've come a long way in a year. How have you done that? What what have you done apart from just putting the hours in to actually? make that happen yeah so design cuts we're actually going to be six years old in october right, okay the first year was like the explosive growth it's yeah. been growing steadily since then but that was the real like zero to 
seven figures whoosh like oh my god what's happening but yeah like now we're at a greater maturity as a company so talk to me about that first year then because that's something is coming into a business you hadn't really done it before you'd said you'd run little uh, businesses some of them failed some of them not really gone where you wanted them to mm-hmm. and this was really moving how did you manage that process what did you do to stimulate that um, I think there's a few things. So one was just a great product market fit. And when you've got that, it makes everything so much easier. Yeah. If you're trying to peddle something that people don't want, you're kind of, you're going to struggle. It's that classic pushing the boulder up the mountain metaphor that so many entrepreneurs relate to. So when you have something that people go nuts for and they share with friends and rave about and they think it's too good to be true, then you're onto something. And that's a lot easier said than done of course, but it's possible, you know, businesses start every year where they get that kind of traction because they've got such a fantastic product. So I'm not going to lie, all the other efforts and any experience and marketing savvy and all the rest of it that I had wouldn't have played out the same way without that product market fit. Yeah. So that has to be the main thing. But around that, you know, distribution is huge. We're pushing very hard on this right now. And I think everyone should. Is very easy to get insular and become a bit of a hermit in your marketing efforts but you need to get in front of other people's audiences you need to work out who's your customer and we did this very well you know we had a full day of whiteboarding audience definition so we came up with an audience profile we were serving designers we understood that person very well and so we we did know where they hung out and what they cared about and how they spoke and all that kind of stuff So what we put out was not only resonant with them and catered with them in mind, but we could go and get in front of the right audiences and strike up the right partnerships to then pull attention back to that fantastic product. And then on top of that, like the community building stuff that I talked about, when we nurtured that, and instead of trying to go broad and wide and get as many people as possible, I started it and I said, I don't want scale because that's what I got taught before. When I tried to learn internet marketing, everyone said it's all about the vanity metrics. It's about how many followers, it's about how much traffic. And that's nonsense. And I learned that to be nonsense because I started this blog that I mentioned, got millions of visitors, right? And I can never turn it into like a real long-term, meaningful, sustainable business because I was chasing the numbers. I wasn't chasing real engagement and community. So when I started Design Cuts, I said, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care how much traffic we get. All I want to do is build the most engaged community ever. And so I went so deep and cared so much about those early people that the loyalty was fierce. They became fans for life and they started telling their friends and they became fans for life. So it wasn't just that we grew fast and we did, but even when we had a relatively smaller audience, the loyalty and the buying habits were ridiculous. Like I'll I'll give you a stat. So what everyone does, right? Big fan of triangles for anyone watching the video. Normally top of the, the funnel of the triangle, marketers like to get say 100 people and try and convert one of them to buy something. So this might be you've got 100 newsletter subscribers and you get one of them to actually convert to a sale. And I just thought that's so inefficient. I was like, why don't we turn that on its head? Why don't we get customers and turn them into repeat customers? Let's stop trying to do anything we can just to get any old subscriber in who doesn't really care about our product. Let's actually find the people that want to buy from us and then you know build loyalty in. So when we had about 40,000 people on our email list, our stat was not 1%. It was 212%. As in, not every customer, every email subscriber, on average, had bought more than two things from us. Wow. And I see people writing books and doing webinars being like, 
I'm some guru because I got 10% or 20% conversion. I've never heard of 200 plus conversion in my, in my life. It's very, very high. Um, but that is that goes back to me in the sales floor befriending 100 people. It's the yeah. same principle, just scaled up. So it's that investment early on in the people who are working with you and trusting you to supply them with the product and working with them to make sure, as you say, they become fans, that they, they, they love what you do so much that they are compelled to tell other people that they, they, they and I think this is um, a good place if a business can get to it like yours, where you can actually get your customers to do that selling for you and say, hey, you've got to use this service because of X, Y and Z. That's, yeah, the, that's, the way, that's when you see the explosion. I think the um, the analogy that I like to use is phone companies. So we've all got smartphones and so on. And what happens is they, they lure us in with compelling offers. They romance us, treat us like their best friend. And then we sign up and they start hiking their prices up over time. They neglect us. They provide poor customer service because they're off romancing the next customer. And I hate that. I hate that side of marketing. And so for me, what I'm so passionate about is how do we just care so deeply about the people we have? And worry less about the stranger over there that we don't have. Why do we care about some stranger over there? We know this person that we already have. We should mm -hmm. be putting all our heart and attention into giving them the best experience and getting to know them and getting to actually invest in them. And so that basically just channels into everything that I've done with the company. Yeah, because spending the time on that customer means they a, a may buy some more or they may go and find that next customer for you. So you've got yeah. two benefits and you can just do what you like doing, which is to focus on them who are going to bring, you know, they've bought from yeah. you, they've already trusted you. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, the only reason people don't do it, apart from maybe having like some skewed perception of marketing, I think is laziness because forget doing it because it feels great and it's really nice and you get like the most amazing feedback and warmth back from people. Like that drives me the most, but equally it's real business results. It's crazy. Like when you see the stats of like recurring purchases, repeat yeah. buyers, referrals, customer loyalty, all those things, that's very real. You know, that all plays out on the balance sheet. So you get the best of both. You get a killer business and you get to feel like a nice person. <laughs> yeah, I think when, whenever I've been to, certainly in the early days, business seminars, coaches and so on, you know, they would what they would always say is that you're, the customers who have bought from you are the most likely to be the customers who will buy again. So if you really need, uh, you know, <laughs> thinking about it just from a money point of view, if you really need to raise more money, you go back to them first because they're the people who've trusted you. You've obviously worked with them. Yeah. You have a lower barrier to entry with them. It's um, so much cheaper. I forget yeah. the exact stat, but, you know, there's a reason why remarketing is so much more efficient cost-wise compared to marketing to a complete cold lead stranger. Yeah. But yeah, we're all taught in marketing everywhere, everywhere. It's just get as many people in as possible. And then, then you've got a conversion rate off the back of that. Yeah. And, and you've just got to tweak the conversion rate. And th there, you know, that, that there is, that's useful to some people, but I, I totally agree with you. If you can foster the relationship with your customers, they should do that selling for you. If, if mm. you've, you know, if you've done it right. Anything else in terms of building the business and so now over six years, anything else you've learned really that has been pushing it forward and, and, and helping drive where you are now? Yeah. A ton of stuff. Like, so I think distribution is key and we all need to do more of that i need to regularly remind myself like we need to be getting in front of other other people because i'm so you know caring about the people we have now we need both parts mm -hmm. and that's been a big lesson because i went so all in on the people we have we created almost like a bubble of like you know that insular nature you you definitely need both so you need to be constantly growing that bubble and pulling new people into it but once they're in there you need to not neglect them and you need to really look after them and you know alongside that anything that goes with growing a company it's been learning to manage people been going all in on building an amazing culture like our culture is so important to me it's been having long-term integrity and so again that maps back to how 
we treat people, but any partnerships we have, like anything we've done as a business um, has not been short term. It's been, how is this going to play out over years? And we see competitors getting investment behaving in some kind of crappy ways, to be honest. Um, and I just don't believe in it. I, I think I'm never going to be living for the balance sheet of next quarter. I'm I'm in this for the long term. Slightly off at a tangent. Do you think it's, and just think really thinking about the people, the guys and girls who are providing you with the creative that goes onto the site. We're in the creative industry. I'm, I'm a marketing consultant. I do a bit of technical work, if anything, on, on web development. So I, I don't really get involved in the design work. But I do see from my point of view, lots of apps that are available, lots of image tools, lots of creation systems. In some cases, artificial intelligence is able to generate or, or recreate um, images imagery or, or content for people. Do you see with, with a lot of these tools that it's becoming harder for creatives to produce genuinely new, new work or get paid for that work? Because the perception is, oh, I can just buy that from here or, or it's a lot easier for you because you've got this system in place or these tools. Does that make sense? Is it becoming, is it becoming harder for creatives to charge for content that they're creating because there are so many tools available to them or their customer? Yes and no. So it's like any industry ever. Same thing with the music industry. Yeah. It used to be that if you were a recording artist, you needed money to rent studio space. You might not have been able to afford all the equipment and you were in there and you're part of a very select group and there were mm. various gatekeepers there. So it was a very, very small community of musicians and artists. And now anyone with a home computer is producing music, right? So it's become infinitely larger. And same thing in our industry. So I think that abundance is actually a wonderful thing. It gives so much opportunity. We work with people every day. I mean, we help people do this for a living. We've helped people quit their jobs, their nine to five to sell digital products online. And they never yeah. could have had that yeah. you know, opportunity afforded if there wasn't for this kind of scale of what's happened in our industry. So I'm a huge believer in it. I think it's fantastic. But equally, you do get that bell curve, right? You get that maximum capacity and it becomes tougher mm. because as there's more competition out there and apps and other people and, and product creators, mm. it is tougher to stand out because suddenly you're not the only person producing brush fonts, for example, and there's 10,000 other people doing exactly the same thing and ripping you off at every turn. A design podcast called The Future recently. And my presentation was, why do some products make zero dollars and others make over a quarter of a million dollars for a single product? Why, why the disparity? And I think what happens in any industry, when it becomes this busy, you just have to win by being better. Mm -hmm. It forces an uptick in quality. So I think when there's less competition, generally the quality is lower. Yeah. When there's tons of stuff going on, you have to think outside the box. You have to be more innovative. And that drives progress. That's what drives the world forward. That's what drives capitalism forward. And so I don't think that's a bad thing at all. So in my presentation, I was saying, okay, well, now you can't just slap a product together and get tremendous sales. You need to think about things like market demand and who you're serving. You need to play to your talents. You need to think how unique it is. And we see products still blowing up and making more money than ever, but they're not a lazy product. They're something that's excellent and has been really well thought out and most importantly is unique. So there, there are still those brainwaves but yeah, same, like same thing. People keep saying everything's been done, every invention's been made, or every TV show has been made. But every year, new stuff comes out that blows people away. But it takes some real thought and talent to actually put that stuff together. Yeah, and that that's probably part of the uh, more people being able to be more creative, upping the game, and having to look further, having to challenge themselves and do uh, something slightly different. Because you're right, certainly uh, the 
what Netflix and HBO and other services coming out with is, is incredible. And you would have thought, well, who could have thought of another uh, storyline? I mean, imagine if we were the only two marketing consultants in the world, right? It would be pretty damn easy. Yeah, but no, it, it, it is it is interesting with uh, with any of that sort of content. Let, let's go and let's talk about. It. You've mentioned it a, a little bit before, and you've got another podcast called The Honest Entrepreneur. I love podcasts. Uh, I listen to far too many of them, and I have to constantly trim down my list of them. But I particularly love podcasts where, the, well, one of the reasons I love it is because you have that two way. You, you feel like you are part of the conversation, even if you're just passively listening. And it's just really nice to just get additional information on lots of different a variety. Of subject so i'm i'm interested in uh, how you, a how you started the podcast why you're doing it and, and how you're growing it so it's called the honest entrepreneur you know tell me a little bit why you started that why you wanted to get that going so i've actually been podcasting for a couple of years and my more established bigger podcast is connected to design cuts and that's called the honest designer show so you're probably picking up on a theme there but I just, it was an itch I had to scratch. I've been wanting to do the personal brand thing for years, but I hate when people start doing it and have no credibility and posit that they're some kind of expert when they haven't built anything. And so I really wanted to build a big business. So when I go and actually, like my, my biggest passion, like even beyond running my company is helping other people. And it's ludicrous. This is the worst business model of all time. In all my spare hours, so like I say, I work super hard, CEO of my company, and then in my evenings and weekends around being in a seven year relationship with my girlfriend and wanting to spend time with her every other minute i'm basically consulting people for free and i've charged for it before i know i could charge for it now but i i get enough money from my day job like i don't really need to extort like 100 bucks or a few hundred bucks out of people that's not my aim i just love doing it like it's what I default to. It's my fun. I get such a kick out of it. And so the podcast was a way to, to not only scale that, but I mentioned earlier, it is very cathartic. It's like a kind of self-therapy. I can just put it all out there and it, it does help more people in a, a wider audience. But equally, it's I think it's a good credibility builder. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer in personal branding. I think we should all be doing it. I think if our companies went away one day or, or something else happened, you've still got you. And right now I might not hit a huge capacity because it's just a side hustle and it's fairly fledgling. But even where I've got in the last six months, if someone were to wipe that out tomorrow, I'd be gutted because it's opening up so many doors, so many opportunities, starting to get interest from like the speaking circuit and all these different things. They wouldn't really have come from my company in the same way. So I think owning your own thing is huge. You know, as much as Design Cuts is my company, like we have shareholders, we have directors, we've got a team, we've got a culture, all this kind of stuff. With my personal brand, I can be like 120% me. I, I can say whatever I want. I can swear, like just, you know, I, I can really not hold back. And, and the nature of the show, like the Honest Entrepreneur Show, right? It is so honest because I think, am I allowed to swear on this? You can swear, we'll bleep it. Okay. So as we've touched on, I think there's a tidal wave of in the marketing industry. I think there's a lot of charlatans and people don't really know what they're talking about. And so my show is a way to expose that, but equally, you know, not buy into like the hustle culture and all that kind of stuff and show the balance and be like, you can grow a big business. You can care about people, but equally you can be vulnerable. You can have burnout. You can have mental health issues. You can be a real functioning human being and not this kind of meme of a person that's actually going to do more harm than good. And so, yeah, it's, it's been like one of the most fun projects of my life, to be honest. And I started doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So I started doing like live call-in 
shows. So All right, people, people call up and I have no idea what they're going to ask me and I just have to respond to it. In, That's a good in idea. The how did it go? It's great. I've done a few of them now and I plan on making that almost the uh, the premise of the show because yeah. I enjoy them the most. I like getting really tactical because I never want to just be regurgitating advice. I never want to be giving generic advice that people can't put into action. So when someone's like, I've got this specific problem, help me. That's what I do every day. I get about 40 to 50 DMs a day on Instagram and I'm like scrambling around trying to do that. I do that in the lift on the way up to my flat, try and knock a few out so I can spend time with my girlfriend. I'm just obsessed with putting that out there. It's interesting you say that actually um, about building a personal brand because uh, we've uh, been running Rather Inventive for about nine years. And if anything, while I've always tried to portray it as a, a business that was mine and I was part of the business, I, I'm actually backtracking a little bit and I'm wanting to bring myself out more as the, as the head of the business, because really that's what it's about. You know, as much as I fooled myself into thinking that we're, we're a business and I'm just part of it, actually, most of the time, what people want to work is with with me. And I've known this, but not embraced it. And so I'm looking yep. at ways of embracing it more. But then going back to your call in, I love doing workshops in front of people. I love working with people and, and, and answering those questions. I, I love the fact you don't need to think about it in preparing in advance. You've already done that. Your life skills have prepared you to answer that particular question that they, they've posed you with. And, yep. and so actually, I might I might take that idea for the call in and, and, and do that more in a lot of our uh, other podcasts and, and, and workshops that we do. Because I actually, I, I forget about how much I love that like you just helping someone they have it they have a particular it's issue fun, right? and yeah it's, it's, it is what I live for if, if I could do anything else that's what I would just I would just do that and drink coffee. <clears throat> yeah I, I used to do more pay consultancy but I've always done it at scale for free yeah and it was the best feeling in the world I remember running up to my girlfriend like five six years ago and she's been like you know that guy I've been on the call with for the last three weeks he couldn't pay his mortgage and support his kids. And now he can because of what he implemented from our course. I got no money from that, but I got like the biggest high in the world. And so now I'm just trying to bottle that high and just keep doing more and more of that. So I'm really, same as you, I've never like fully embraced it enough. But the older I get and, and get more of that awareness, I'm, I'm really leaning into it with everything I've got. And I'm trying to bring more of that back into the company as well, where it is more speaking and workshops and podcasts and speaking at universities and stuff like that just trying to give back as much as possible and you're right i think not only does it feel good but it's a savvy business move as well um and so many successful companies i see have a bit of a figurehead i mean yeah. look at like apple and steve jobs right he was as famous as apple and that's not a bad thing and i don't think it needs to be narcissistic or anything like that but like people are inherently very human in how they understand stuff. So when there is that human figure, yeah. yeah, exactly. You've got that human figure going, here are our values and what we stand for. That's much more attractive than like Globo Corp that has a some corporate motto underneath it, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's really got me thinking over the last well, year or so, really, that actually this that's the bit I enjoy. I like being in front of people like you and I want to do more of that. So, yeah, and I haven't checked out your Honest Entrepreneur um, show yet. So I'll, I'll add that to my list and uh, be one of your listeners. I appreciate it. Just to round off, can you, I mean, you've given lots of advice already, but if, if you can crystallize some of what you've said into two pieces of marketing advice that people can take away, what would those mm. be? Yeah, so I think uh, one that I touched on was stop shouting into the void and thinking so scalable when actually no one does or should care about you at this point and build community one person at a time. So literally one relationship at a time. You might have heard of a thousand true fans. That becomes a lot more doable 
when you stop being so reactive and hoping people come to you and you go to them. Was that from Seth Godin about a thousand true fans? No, it, oh, I always forget his name. It begins with J. I'm pretty sure. But no, I've, I've, I've read his whole manifesto and I always forget the guy's Let me know, I'll put it in the show notes after. Cool. <laughs> but no, I, I think that's a great, a great framework to think within. But yeah, stop hoping people come to you and actively go to them. So um, I think that unscalable community building piece is a must, but equally balance that with distribution. Define your ideal customers, actually figure out where they are, and then put in the work and the partnerships and the JVs and all that kind of stuff to get in front of other audiences where those customers hang out. Good. Thank you. Anything you're doing for the future? Anything you can talk about before we finish? Like way too much. I think we've got about six big partnerships in the works right now. Design Cuts is getting relaunched next month with a shiny new website. And that's going to be iterating into all kinds of crazy stuff. The personal brand, um, I'm getting on the speaking circuit and starting to do conferences and workshops and a lot of the stuff that you're into, Ben. Yeah, just trying to pack as much into the day as I can because I seem to like doing that <laughs> and, just, and just keep learning. Yeah, just enjoying that process and, and trying to go all in on what makes you happiest. And I know that might sound kind of trite and stereotypical, but getting tremendous joy. I'm finding I'm coming home from work more days, much more often than not, feeling like I'm high on drugs or something and full of like endorphins and adrenaline and yeah. i'm just trying to replicate that as much as i can but what else is life for i mean we we work we put in the hours really so that we can get the feeling that we want so we can have either the rest time or we can we can do the things and pursue the activities we want to do well if you can combine some of that with what you're doing in the podcast or you can put in those hours and just try and just try and make every every day something that you can you can you can take away from. I think I think it's great. So many people don't have that, so it's it's a good position that you've you've helped foster. So people can find you at uh, designcuts.com. So that's the that's the main uh, main website where creatives and designers can buy things from you to use in in, in the work that they do. But if they want to get uh, get to grips and uh, maybe call into your uh, show, that's the Honest Entrepreneur Show uh, podcast, and that should be available on any podcast. Program. Yeah, thank you, man. And I, I guess if you want to organize getting on a show, then Tom Ross Media is my Instagram. And that's my main social profile. So if you want to connect with me there, and be, better yet, actually, if you want to DM me and mention that you listened to uh, this chat on Ben's fantastic podcast, then I will happily give you some free advice if you've got any questions. There's no upsell. There's no catch. Like I just like helping people. Thanks. That's a really nice offer. Thank you very much for the time. Really good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Ben. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you like this interview, you can visit ratherinventive.com slash podcast and listen to more interviews with fascinating people, plus our monthly podcast on business, creativity and the web. To get the latest episodes the moment they are available, you should subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts, Overcast or whichever podcast player you use. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Ben Kinnaird on Twitter or you can email hello at ratherinventive.com. Bye.